Well, good evening, everybody. Have I ever told you it is really good to fellowship with you guys and study the Bible together? Have I, have I said that? Um, well, hey, it's a good thing to do. Uh, we are in our fall sessions as we are uh, we're getting deep into the fall session. Very deep. And there is Audrey, just from out of town. Okay, as I'm thinking along, I know of a good introduction. Bill is trying to catch up with his grade here, so he's going to fill us in where we've been in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> he's been kind of concerned about that perfect... Um, Attendance? Well, a 4.0 average that he's had, and and um, I I think that he's caught up with us. Now, am I am I right there, Bill? Uh, I definitely haven't listened to last week's yet, but the week before I did listen to. It. I can't even remember where I was. Okay. Bill Petzl. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, it is great to be here, and uh, we have been proceeding through in chapter four in this uh, in this fall session. And what we have seen is that we are to keep the unity of the spirit, and we keep the unity of the spirit because God, the Triune God that He is is unity. And the church already has unity. Of course, we are to maintain it, but we're in Christ. We're to, we're to keep the unity, as it states in uh, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so that, then he gives uh, the one body and one spirit and one hope of the calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And then he says... Uh, that we have certain gifts um, that have been given to us. And because of those gifts, we can keep that unity or maintain it. We can grow and develop as we are in the body of Christ. The whole um, aspect of the body of Christ can grow uh, as we as individuals do. And then it says in verse 11, there are certain gifts that have been given. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and they have a function. And the function of uh, that ministry is to bring all the members of that one body, uh, the body of Christ, to be a perfect man. And if you glance at, uh, really it's going to be the text that we're dealing with tonight, verse 13, it says, "...till we all come to the unity," there's that word, "...of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we know that uh, we are not into perfectionism uh, as is found in Wesleyanism. We're not necessarily talking of that. Um, We are talking about the fact that uh, we are uh, to be brought to a completion. And if we want to take it to the ultimate, that's exactly where we're headed where we will be perfect. Uh, we will have glorified bodies and we'll be doing everything uh, in, in God's will in every aspect that we do. But even in that, even in our walk now, I think this even applies to this is what we are to be doing and we're to be mature in Christ. And, uh, of course, that's a key word. We uh, kind of looked at that a little bit last week. We talked about having the knowledge of the Son of God, uh, knowing Christ knowing Him in a way that, um, you know, as, uh, if you want to talk about the incarnation of Christ, you want to talk about the, uh, the life that He lived, you want to talk about the, um, uh, the work of Christ, work of Christ on the cross and His redemption. And we have another cup of coffee coming up for each one of you. We actually went through one already. And I must confess, huh? Yeah, it was. I, I'm making an excuse. That was really me. Yeah. <laughs> A little competition. It better be good, right? Anyway, God has a grand purpose. The grand purpose, the ultimate purpose, is that the church will be perfect, and it ultimately will. That's His ultimate object. He will do that. It will be made entire. It will be made complete. 
We live in a time, though, that the evangelical church today concentrates and uh, sometimes is consumed with uh, growth, church growth. But the kind of growth that they're talking about is not the spiritual development, but having numbers in the church. Which is a good thing, don't get me wrong. There were many souls added to the church daily, as we see in the book of Acts. That's a glorious thing. Uh, The ones who are called are going to come to Christ. But uh, the fact of the matter is, when they concentrate so much on seminars and conferences and books and programs and organizations uh, about how to grow the church, uh, it isn't necessarily dealing with what the Word of God is saying with, but it's basically how organizations or the business world uh, does its growth. And we know that Jesus said, I'll build my church. And at the same time, we do want to grow in Him. We do that by, of course, being obedient. and It's all by the Holy Spirit, the work of Him. Uh, the Word of God is not going to be uh, doing anything in us unless the Spirit of God is also working with that. We need both. Um, but it's all done according to God's plan. He has the pattern, and we looked at that pattern last week in uh, verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith. We looked at that. And the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank You for this evening and another time to gather around Your Word. And uh, may we be guided by Your Spirit, who is the resident teacher in each one of us, that uh, we would know Christ, know Him more. And uh, we are just children growing up in the body of Christ. We need to be fed and fed and fed more and more uh, constantly off Your Word. And we know as the Holy Spirit is allowed to work in us, we will develop, and by that we can glorify You. May the whole body of Christ continue to develop until the time that we reach full maturity in which we will glorify You in the complete way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, pick up on your, your outline. You'll see the purpose of building up the church. We're not to be children anymore. No longer to be children. We're to grow up. So he uses the word perfect man. I think we probably did we touch into this a little bit last week? Uh, might might sound like a repeat for a little bit, but uh, anyway, teleos is the word there which brings to completion, to come to a fullness. That's the thought there to be fully grown, to be developed. Uh, matter of fact, when Jesus was on the cross, he said uh, some sayings, and one of his sayings was, "It is finished." Teleos. Makes you think of telephone, telegraph, telegram. Um, You have uh, actually going uh, to a completion there to get to the other end as you are communicating. Well, the perfect man will have only arrived with every one of us who is a member of the body of Christ when we all come to that point where we've been grown up into the full stature and uh, the appointment that God has appointed. When we have reached that point, that's when ultimately when the church will be at that point. And and it's probably good to think in the context here, um, even though this is definitely dealing with the individual, even more so it's dealing with the whole body of Christ. And as the church, church is growing, as individuals are growing, then the church is growing too. God has a plan for it. And... uh, what matters is that every one of us should be perfect in that position. And of course, like we say, is that there, there's a maturity or being Christ-like. Uh, having the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we have those, if they're showing, if there's outward fruit there through the power of God's Spirit, then there is the sense of looking more Christ-like. We're being transformed in the image of Christ. Okay. Um, go to uh, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. And you know what the wonder of the Gospel is? When you think of back in Genesis when God created man, He made him in what? The image. The image. 
of God. And because of the fall, it kind of wiped out that image or defaced it a little bit, didn't it? Um, so we know what happened at the fall, but it's now being progressively restored as we as Christians, as individuals, are made like Christ. We're being made like Christ. Uh, what do we have in Colossians 1 where Paul brings forth really... this? Uh, I think this is a goal for Paul to bring all the Christians that he knew to a complete Christian, a complete man, a perfect man. Talking about Christ in verse 28, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, what? Perfect, teleos, in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor. That means to really work hard. Striving. And that's moving, it's like a runner, just moving every muscle, extending out, going as far as he can, according to his working, which works in me mightily. The working of Christ. So, Paul says that he wants to present every man mature, perfect, teleos, to to bring to a completion, fully grown. That's what he wants to do. Go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. And he used this in the present tense, as there are people that are mature or teleos. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, <laughs> teleos, or the word perfect. We hesitate to use the word perfect because we know that nobody is perfect. And we don't believe in the doctrine of perfectionism, where you don't sin anymore. We will do that until Christ comes back for us. But uh, have this in mind. If anything you think of otherwise, God will reveal this to you. So, have this mind. Have this mind pressing towards the goal for the prize and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul has just stated before that that I haven't arrived yet, but I'm pressing on. And then he says, okay, as many as mature, you have that mind too. That was uh, Philippians 3. Uh, probably 12 right on through 15 there. And, of course, the key word there is mature. The um, King James has perfect. So is that a position as opposed to what we really have? Same word there. And, matter of fact, does it have perfect also in Ephesians? I'm sure it does. Yeah. And that's the same Greek word there. So it's a positional word then? Well, um, I, I think there's a progression in all of us. In, in that there's a maturity. If, if you have one who is a Christian, we'll talk about that in a moment, who becomes a Christian, becomes born again, are they mature as soon as they are born? Of course they're not. Now, we know they're complete in Christ. We know that. They're, they're in Christ. They have everything that they need. But there is going to be growth. We are encouraged to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So they are going to, you're not born automatically knowing Christ in the way that you probably know Him now compared to what you did maybe if you were born again, let's say, 10 years ago, right? There is a definite uh, a change, a growth pattern. Some people don't tend to maybe have that growth. And it's very sad sometimes to see Christians who are still babies or infants and have not had much growth at all in the time that they've been Christians. Might be Christians for 30, 40 years, but uh, some of that fruit really may not be showing. And that's sad. I would say for, uh, one thing for its worth, actually, ESV doesn't really use the word perfect in any of the verses we've seen so far. What has it been using? Mature. Okay. Mature Probably a good time. word. It's very more understandable to us because perfect can be a, a difficulty. I, yes? I think, he explains, I think he explains it in Colossians 2. He explains what that maturing Christ is. I think if you could just go on and read. That's, uh, oh, yeah, right after 28 and 29 there, right? Yeah. Well, go ahead and read that if you like there. Oh, okay. And you'll find it in it's verse 2. In, I just wanted to say, well, it wasn't positional. It's not a positional thing. I mean, position, we're, positionally, we're okay. It's right. practically where we're all. This is sanctification, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It says, uh, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knitted together in love, 
and I think that this this knitted together in love is this maturing Christ knitted together in love to reach all the riches of fullness assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ so the more you know Christ if I could say this the more mature you're going to be that's what it's about Absolutely. And Paul has been saying that, and Ephesians and Colossians are parallel in a lot of aspects. This looks a lot like the prayer that he has said in chapter 1 and chapter 3 in Ephesians, in in verse 2. That is the answer to verse uh, 28 and 29 of chapter 1, that what we just read, being knit together in the love. And there's our unity that he's been talking about in Ephesians. And it's about understanding, having the knowledge of God, Christ, and of course, it's Christ. That's where all the wisdom and all of this is at. This is the great treasure. It's about Christ. Christ-centered, Christ-focused. So, yeah, that, that Colossians 2.2 is, is absolutely uh, a good answer for that. Uh, look in, in Romans 8.29. Uh, it's uh, the, the golden chain. You, know, you have to like that section. And of course, he starts out in verse 29, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, Christ, might be the firstborn or the preeminent among many brethren, among us. That um, the idea here is he foreknew us, he predestined us, and he will bring us to the fact that we will have the image of his Son, but even now, in this Christian walk, we are to bear the image of Christ more and more. So to be seen. The only way we can do that is through the Word of God, the power of His Spirit. And that's why we should be studying on our own, studying with God's people, meeting together. People would think that you know, once a week or once a month or maybe once a year is good enough for me because uh, that's all I need. And uh, that's simply not true. We, we want to uh, be like Christ. We need to more, be more like Him. And so it's very key to uh, to see that that's that's the ultimate uh, to be more and more like Christ. Second Corinthians three eighteen. I I love this text. It's one of my favorite. Uh, this is what's happening to us even right now. But we all, with unveiled face, as he has been uh, alluding to Moses and the veil that uh, was actually taken off uh, because of Christ. They had a veil over their eyes, but now uh, it's been revealed. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, image of Christ, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we are being transformed, and that will continue to happen. God is working in us. If we're truly Christians, it is happening now. Uh, Christ, Christ likeness. You can think of the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit and Christ, uh, having Him in us, walking as He walked. Look in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says He abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. If we're in the image of Christ, then we're going to live, we're going to walk, our uh, communication, our conduct is all going to be lining up with who he is. If we truly abide in him, then we will uh, walk that way. Remember, in First John, you have uh, black and white. You do this, you don't do this. You're a believer, you're a non-believer, but he, you know, there's a pretty good um, objective way of looking and weighing it ourselves. Hey, am, am I walking like Christ? You know, if I'm abiding in Him, and of course, how do you abide in Him? His Word. If we're doing that, then we can measure ourselves a little bit better by, by the Word of God rather than just subjective aspects. Go to Colossians chapter 4. We were in Colossians just a minute ago. Colossians 4.12 I think we read this one last week. Good old Epaphras. We don't hear much about him, but boy, he was a godly man. Epaphras, who was one of you, a bond servant of Christ, 
greet you always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Why? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That's a mighty prayer that Epaphras had. That we would stand complete in all the will of God. Now that's certain individuals that he's praying for, but that's a great example that we should be doing for our other brothers and sisters in Christ. That they would stand complete. That kind of sounds like the prayer that Paul had in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. But anyway, that, that was such a desire for Paul uh, that they would become mature to present every man complete. Let's go to the uh, fullness of Christ now. Back to our Ephesians. Come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. We check that out, right? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a loaded phrase. Um, Stature, you have to think of maybe like when a child attains, let's say, a certain age, he gets up to a certain height, a certain stature. Uh, Of course, you watch little kids and you tell them how they're growing. You have a growth chart and everything. Boy, they love that, you know. And boy, you tell them they're growing and they can't wait to see how much they've done more and and uh, of course, the measure here is is incredible. It's it's Jesus Christ. That's who we're measuring up to. What a standard! But with Him in us, then we have the the proper look at that, you know. And and so therefore, we can say, okay, it it is being done because God is doing this work. Ah, oh, the wonder of the gospel, uh, the church in the world, the church in the world actually is Jesus Christ in the world. Be careful, right? We don't want to talk about New Age stuff here, but if if you take the body of Christ, it's really how Christ is working on the earth here because the church is the fullness of His body in this world as we know now. And uh, that's a scary thought, isn't it? But we are um, the fullness of Christ. And, and of course, it's, it's being worked out. But His fullness is in each one of us. The very fullness of Christ. Everything that we need is in uh, is in us. Uh, we are. Here's the thing, though. We are to reflect the very character of Christ, the very perfections of Christ. We are to reflect. That's quite a standard, quite a stature, isn't it? And we know that we can't do that. But in Christ, we can. Sounds like opposites, doesn't it? But it is it is possible to uh, reflect uh, the great excellencies of Christ because He's living in us. And then the, the church, the body of Christ, can reflect that. And every once in a while you see it. <laughs> it's a glorious thing, isn't it? The church is a beautiful thing. That's what we've been talking about for quite a few weeks here. Chapter 4, it's a great... Uh, ecclesiology section, I guess you could say. But uh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Okay, So the blood, we know, goes through every part, goes all the way down from the, the heart in the body, all the way down to the toes, uh, the most distant members of the body, and they get that same blood that the other parts of the body gets. So the same blood courses through every part, carrying that same life, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So the fullness of the head, and that being Christ, goes all the way to the extremities, the fingers, the toes, and that is the way it is in us as far as Christ is concerned. He goes to each member and He fills them up. So what's what's Paul thinking about here? They become sure. They would know... Jesus Christ. They, we looked at it last week. That they would know the, the power of the resurrection. But even before that, he said the suffering of Christ. To know that. To know the depth of everything that Christ is. Oh yeah, His sufferings. I want to know that. Then I want to know the power of that great resurrection. That's what Paul was after. Every part that Christ had. He sure had enough sufferings. He, uh, I'm sure that he felt that and um, the church is to fill up the afflictions of Christ. Have you read that one before? Because even though He finished the work that He was done, His body still needs 
the sufferings and the afflictions because there's more to come because that is how one grows also. A great growth method that God has given us. James 1. Aha. Consider it what? What's it say in James 1? Consider it all... Pure joy. And I don't like that version. <laughs> like taking that page out of my Bible yeah. that I have at home. It's probably in a. It's probably an ESV too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now we move on. We could stay with the fullness of Christ for a long time there, but that we move into verse fourteen. Okay. You see, Paul just lines this up, word by word, phrase by phrase. Why do we come to this? perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Even now, we know that there's the ultimate, but we don't want to just say, well, that's for the future, and so right now none of this is possible. I can't be mature. and um, It works both ways here. But he is saying that we should no longer be children. There's more to go with that, but we'll stop there. That means we have been children. <coughs> We, there are certain things we have to realize about ourselves. We have to realize that we're children of God. And when it says children, it means maybe there, uh, we definitely start with immaturity, uh, just like a little baby uh, does. If we go back to the gifts, uh, the apostles that God had given in the early church, um, prophets where the revelation of the Word of God was given, and evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We take those, and mainly they're centered around what? The Word of God, right? That's how we're strengthened. Um, they focused on that. They sat at the apostles' feet. They were given the Word of God. Uh, so you have pastors, teachers today. What do they do? They are to continue to teach and teach and teach and teach even more. Preach the whole counsel of the Word. And you can't get enough of this. And just when you thought, well, I've read through the Bible one time now, I pretty well have it all. Uh, and you can read through a second time. And you can read through a third time and a fourth time. And you will probably tell each other person here that, um, you know what, every time that I read it, I get more out of it than I did before. Could anybody ever agree with that? <laughs> it does happen, doesn't it? Uh we are children. The word there is nepios. We're no longer to be children. Here he's saying that we are to grow up. We can't stay children forever. A nepios, uh, if you want to take it in a literal meaning, it means one who doesn't talk. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. Ah, let's see. Zach has one who's five months old. Some of you guys met him yesterday. And he's not talking yet. Now, he, he can communicate in a lot of different ways, but he, can, he doesn't come up to you and just start chatting and asking your name and telling you all about himself. But, um, you know, he's a little one, right? And uh, so he doesn't talk. So that's, that's a, a literal sense of it. If you go to 1 Corinthians 3.1, remember 1 Corinthians, the, uh, the problem church, as most churches do have problems. Corinthians is well known for that, pretty famous. And in chapter 3, you have these people that were known to be as carnal. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. Couldn't speak to you as grown-up people or mature people. But as to carnal, as fleshly people. As to babes in Christ. Babes there is kind of meant in a negative sense. They were babes in that they should have been grown up. And he's saying, I couldn't speak to you in deep spiritual matters. I had to speak to you like you were fleshly. You were acting fleshly. They haven't been growing up. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. Their milk is not talking about deep the, the Word of God and the, and the deep things. You know, I fed you with just something that a baby grows up on, but I should, I should have been giving you steak. And you can't take it. <laughs> so there we have babies. Yes, Bill. That passage in Hebrews 5. Um, oh, yeah. For I by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid, 
the company's milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. And solid food is for the mature. He is an infant. And then you have the word mature. Can we use that as a basis for Paul being the one that wrote Hebrews? Yeah. <laughs> Did you get that cue off? Of <laughs> you got to remember that Hebrews, he's talking to the Jews and Corinthians, he's talking to the Gentiles. So there's a couple of different things going on. So when he's talking about their immaturity, their need for milk, he's trying to still get them out of the law. Yeah. Okay, these Gentiles and Corinthians don't know the first thing about the law. So I, I think you got two different, completely things going on. And 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 I agree with that. Um, I think sometimes people will use that, and, and some and there are different interpretations. And, but I agree with the fact that he is definitely talking to people that are uh, kind of in, in, on the border here. They're not even really Christians yet, but they think they are. Is that the way that that you're taking that? Uh, as they were unbelievers, or even though they were professing people and not Christians, there's different ways to interpret. Yeah, I but. think you could be in, in, in Christ. Uh, and be in Christ and not be totally aware, aware of the wisdom and the knowledge that you could possess. But I think we get the flesh mixed up with the Spirit. I, I think he's wanting these people to grow spiritually, you know, and not fleshly. And the problem with the Corinthians is, is that they were bringing their carnality in with their spiritual, and they were losing they're spiritual because yep. the spiritual will always lose when you bring in the flesh because the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Yeah. There's always a battle, we'll always, isn't there? Yeah, yep. we'll always we'll always choose the wrong thing. Chew on that for a little bit. Well, we'll that's, that's the flesh, isn't it? The wrong thing. That's yeah. solid food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's steak, right? Yeah. Yeah. Alright. There's some heads Mm. <laughs> Still talking to the Corinthians. Go to chapter 14. Uh, these same Corinthians that were back in chapter 3. Here we go. Paul's got another thing to deal with him on, and here it was dealing with tongues. And he says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. That means they were being children. <laughs> However, in malice, be babes, but in understanding, be mature. Understand, be be mature. They were not mature. Chapter three, they were not mature. They were looking like fleshly people, acting like that. And so again, uh, you have that idea of nepios. Do not be nepios. I guess you could say Paul's saying. We start as infants. We're to grow, we're to develop to a mature man. So everyone who comes into the Christian life is a spiritual babe. They don't have it automatically in that they're mature. Uh, and a lot of people sometimes treat uh, people as mature, and within the space of a few months, they'll have them in leadership positions. I've seen where a brand new Christian within a year was uh, heading a Sunday school department. They put them in positions where... Maybe in the world they have positions of prominence and they're very intelligent. They might pick up on things very quickly. Uh, and sometimes Christians do. I mean, sometimes there's some that advance very rapidly. But to put them in positions in a short amount of time is a mistake by churches. And um, there are a lot of uh, consequences that can fall uh, down the line on that. Yeah, it, it it takes time, doesn't it? It takes processes, and, and of course, suffering is is a part of the thing that God uses, as you're pointing there. And just the cra- a daily Christian walk, it's not an automatic thing. Um, some can go quicker than others, and they have a desire, but uh, still, yet we we don't want to operate like uh, the world does, and uh, you know, put in promotions on people. Uh, just for the fact that it seems like they're growing really quickly, so let's 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 give them a let's give them a position where they won't get bored and move them along. You know, they, it takes time to be taught and get get strong in the Word of God and be able to go through that. You know, in John three, it talks about the new birth. 
we have to be born again, right? First eight verses dealing with that. Being born again. Born again. Uh, there you have an infant. In First John chapter 2, uh, a lot of times, uh, a lot of expositors will use this text. I think it definitely presents a case of how there can be different stages of growth. Uh, I don't want to press it too much, but I, I think it has something to say for that. And First uh, John 2.12 says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, you for His name's sake. And so he could be saying, little children in the sense, okay, it's like they're brand new Christians. They, they know that they're forgiven. Their sins have been taken away by God. He says, I write to you, fathers, goes up to the the really mature, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. You know Him. You just know Him. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. So there, it looks like there's little children, there's young men, and then the fathers. And uh, the, the ones who are young men are, are, are stout and they're sturdy. They're ready to take on any kind of false teaching. And uh, they will make sure that people know about the false teaching. Well, that's a good thing. It's good to have those. They Sometimes they can be overzealous. But that can still be good, but sometimes they don't know how to tame themselves, maybe. And then he comes back, I write to you little children because you've known the Father. They know Dada. Dada. You know? They know their mom. They know their dad. That's about all they can say. They know that. And I have written to you fathers because you have known Him who is from the beginning. There it's having that real rich relationship, intimate knowledge. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Well, you can go on Facebook and if you get the right kind of friends on there. I have ran into a lot of them that I guess you could say could maybe follow under the young men because they are very strong in the Word of God. You can tell they're using Scripture. Have you ever noticed that, Bob? Uh, but they're always putting up, and I'm glad they are, but they're putting up um, different false teachers. And they're putting videos on there to show you exactly what they're saying. And I was going to try to, night, to try to do some of that off of YouTube and maybe use a laptop or something. At least you could hear some of the statements that some of those false teachers are using in their craftiness and deceitful scheming that it's talking about here. I ran out of time, as always. You guys not ever uh, have to battle with time. <laughs> Things that you'd really love to do, it just don't get to it. Anyway, that was my desire, but I didn't. But anyway, um, don't want to make that a dogmatic uh, statement there. But I, I first heard of that from MacArthur way back when, in the very early days that I started listening to him. I thought that kind of defined uh, maybe a little bit of different stages that people are at. And whether it be that or not, uh, I tend to think it could be very well. But even if it's not, it, it, it you can definitely see that there are little children. There are the ones who have grown out of that, and then you have the ones who are very mature in Christ. And uh, they, they, they know God the Father. They're strong in the Word, too, like the young men, but they have that great relationship with the Father. Uh, Little kids, instability. In Ephesians, what does it say here? Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Tossed to and fro. If you don't have the strengthening agent, the Word of God, uh, you're liable to be tossed about all over the place. And I think of James 1.6, and it's going to relate to something like this, where it talks about, uh, I think, the waves. I think that's right here. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So there's another word picture there, thinking of uh, uh, waves constantly in motion. Sometimes they're violent, uh, they're active, a pitching about of the waves. So a little, a little child is sometimes interested in one thing over here for about five minutes. They get all excited and then they see something over here. And it's hard to read to them and, and keep up if they're really, really young. 
uh, to keep that attention span for a half hour, hour. You know, they're usually not going to sit that long, are they? They move from one to the next. Just kind of use an example. I, th- I think they're just, uh, they can be fickle. They don't really have a lot of self-control, you know, little little guys. Yeah, Bob. I remember that story you told me of that one young man that came in here. I don't know anything about the story. I just remember you saying, that he came up and asked you, do you think we're in the sixth seal now or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, just a question. Throwing it, just coming up and throwing that out at you. Know, <laughs> Yeah, and that sort of reminded me. This this reminds me. Of yeah, everything that comes along with it, be like a prophecy, and yeah. Oh my, I go back to the, um, I guess it was the early '80s. Carolyn would, uh, she smiling. She probably knows what I'm talking about there, but uh, I can definitely say just by experience, and I, I don't like to weigh a lot of experience. You don't usually hear too many things about myself. I hope, hopefully not. But uh, I was really excited. Carolyn was excited. It was all all happened within about a year. Things really were changing rapidly. I mean, we got a house, we got a baby, uh, we moved back into town after being on the road, you know, doing the music thing and, and the clubs and everything. And all of this just started clicking, you know. And she even quit smoking cigarettes, and <laughs> and all of a sudden, I got got into um, anything that'd come on TV. And there wasn't much on TV back in those days. There was Ed Young, uh, the Baptist pastor out of Houston. Now, there's an Ed Young Jr., and uh, I think his doctrine is really kind of out there like a lot of the other ones are But uh, today. But Ed Young was, was pretty solid, so I'd watch him on a Sunday night. And then I think about that same time, um, trying to think, um, Armstrong. Yeah, Armstrong. I can't think of the, the name Herbert, of the show. Herbert W. Herbert w. Armstrong. World? Yeah. I did my dissertation on him. Oh, yeah. Movement. <laughs> Boy, he had an impact on a lot of people, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Worldwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and a free but training he, course. He was a Sabbatarian, though. Oh, boy. Yeah. And and all the legalism that went with that. Yeah. yeah. And Jehovah's Witnesses had come to my house. The Mormons were coming to my house. I invited them in, sat down at the uh, the table, and they opened up this great picture book. Nice, pretty color pictures. And I'm going, oh, wow. <laughs> they probably have that now. <laughs> Carolyn was listening to Kenneth Copeland, and I would too sometimes, because that came on the radio too, and they didn't have too much stuff. They didn't have bot radio back at that time. But, um, you know, anything and everything was going, and we were going to, you know, the First Baptist, and uh, we weren't really getting a whole lot there. Yeah. Yeah. So we were active, and I mean, we were just being bounced around by everything, and we weren't getting a lot of good doctrine. And then there was one man that the Lord brought around me in a Sunday school class there that was very adept in the Word of God, and I heard him teach. And Penny knows who he is, Jerry Van Ham, who lives down in Dallas right now. But um, he just started opening up the Word of God and taught it kind of like verse by verse. Can you imagine that? I said, I've never heard that before. And I just went crazy. I said, this is great. I can't have enough. And on Sunday nights, I would go to his training union class, they called it at the time, and uh, I'd just eat it up. And I couldn't wait till the next Sunday night. I would go to church after that, and it was really boring. I was waiting for them to, to, to tell the Word of God, and they didn't do it. I kept waiting. I said... You read a verse, uh, now explain it, you know, and they didn't do that, so I kind of quit. We quit going to the church thing, but we go to the training union thing, and we got a lot out of that. Yeah, Bill. For me, it was like 1990, right after I got out of high school. Right out of high school, right? Did you graduate in about 80? No. Um, And I cut my teeth on the carpet, you know, grace to you every single morning. That was where he led me to. Yep. You know, because yeah. there it is, you know, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time. Yep. You know, and then now when you see, you know, a verse being read and then, you know, 60 stories come out, you know, instead of, you know, two or three verses or whatever are actually, you know, expository preaching. It's very difficult to find. You know? And 
Yeah, it leaves you lacking and wanting if you don't don't hear it in in that uh, you know expounding. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's that's where he finally got me to, and then the Lord moved him on. And uh, but at least that that got me started. But it was it was the Word of God is what I'm saying. It's all glory to Him, and and He uses different people. All of you probably have known different people that have helped you along, and other people then come along and help you along with that. But that's what the church is about. Um, children, uh, I think, is a, is a good analogy there because we all know how they eventually grow up. Most of them grow out of babyhood to adulthood. And unfortunately, some never do. <laughs> but it's, it's a good picture of what happens uh, you know, in, in the body of Christ. And I think in the Proverbs, it says, like dealing with self-control. Kids usually don't have self-control. You know, they'll... If they, if they could, they'd eat candy all day long. You know, they'd never eat a meal with vegetables and such. But a man of self-control, it says in the Proverbs, is greater than man who captures a city. Self-control is is a huge element, and that's that's a mark of a mature man. A child will manifest an inability to control any situation, his actions, and um, we know that self-control is desiring and uh, to have the Holy Spirit lead us. And little kids are easily misled too, aren't they? <coughs> misled. Yeah. Well, I, uh, that and that's that's true. That you you've, you've got to have um, the right kind of leading. And had I gone on, if it, if the Lord wouldn't have been able to bring, if He wouldn't have brought somebody along like that, who knows what I've gotten into? Because, and 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 this individual, this this Jerry came up to me and I'd said, Hey, listen, I I just learned a little thing. What. Uh, it, it might have been a, a Copeland or something, or Kenneth Hagen. I said, hey, check this out. What do you think about this? And he go, um, yeah. And he was really cool about it. He didn't just blast her out of the water, but he said, well, it says over here. <laughs> and then he'd, he'd read that and go, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Let me think about that. You know, I thought it was really cool what I just heard. And the thing is, is that as he compared Scripture to it, it was like, oh, yeah, that's that's making sense. Now, the guy just took it out of whatever he wanted, and it, it was health, wealth, and that kind of thing. You know, Go to Acts 20. Paul realized that um, the people in Ephesus were going to have a problem of false teachers coming along, and we have this in our body of Christ today. By the way, it's kind of interesting. I was talking to... Um, a young youth pastor this morning, and I've talked to him several times. Matter of fact, he's like-minded like us, <laughs> and uh, he actually believes in Reformed theology, and it's in a little Baptist church. But what's fascinating is that he saw a Joyce Meyer uh, book, or actually a couple of books, in the library at the church. And he wanted to pull them out. And the secretary said, hey, you better not do that. Uh, here's who who brought those. Anyway, she said, uh, maybe you better call her up. And so he called her up and uh, he talked with her and said, you know, there's some things that I really have problems with on Joyce Myers. And um, anyway, I think she took a little bit of offense to it. I guess it's still working that out. But he had went ahead and pitched them in the trash <laughs> after the secretary said, oh, okay, I think you could probably go ahead and take them out. So he did. He actually took them out. I don't know what kind of problems this is going to present in the future, uh, and I'm glad I'm not involved with it. <laughs> but, uh, even as something as simple as that. Sometimes she's not as direct with her false teaching, but there are uh, things that really cause problems and uh, anyway, people are easily misled. We need to tell them about it. Well, here's what Paul did. He warned the elders. Uh, he, did, he wasn't with the whole church at this time as he met them. And we'll pick it up at verse uh, uh, verse 20. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God 
and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Two key words there, right? Repentance, faith. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, and will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you to this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare you the whole counsel of God. There it is, the whole counsel of God, in the context. Now, therefore, because I proclaimed this to you, I want you to remember, here's what's going to happen when I leave. I, and he's given a prophecy here. <laughs> he's revealing something. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, <coughs> bishops, episcopos. Remember we were talking about that last week? To shepherd, there's your pastor, poiman, the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Good doctrine there, isn't it? Here we go. For I know this, that after my departure... Savage wolves. Oh, Paul, you're getting awful graphic here, aren't you? Maybe you shouldn't call them that. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Wow. Of course, we could go on. He talks about the Word of Grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance. The Word of God will counter the false teaching. If you know the Word of God, then you'll know the counterfeit. That's what you have to know. Um, the, the thing here is that they're, they're savage wolves. Um, they will speak uh, false teachings. They'll have um, people following after them. And that's, that's what happens. Children are easily misled. They can be easily deceived. So, uh, he's saying, be careful. And if you go through almost any epistle, go through the Gospels, go through the epistles, all the way to Revelation you will see warnings about false teaching. And it gets old after a while. You would think, hey, I already know about that. It should never get old because we encounter it constantly amongst us. And uh, sometimes I have to try to keep from some of that stuff coming in here. I hope that I'm doing the best that I can. There are great books. There are good books. And there are books that are okay. Then there are books that are not okay, and then there are books that are bad. I hope I at least keep the bad and the not okay books out. Um, but occasionally, I guess they can even filter in. I can't read every book. Wish I could. I have hard enough time reading one book. <laughs> Bill. So, let's see if I ask this question, question correctly. So, in the situation where we have, as an example, Christian Television Network, should they be held? Or, well, I mean, obviously they would be. They will be held accountable, accountable to God for what they put on the air. Right. Okay. And that may just answer my question. I'm just. I'm just wondering if we should, if Christians should hold them accountable for accepting the money of really rich ministries that, and I use that term loosely, that have a lot of money that buy their way onto onto the airwaves. Yeah, I believe you turn on that that Christian television network on any Saturday afternoon, and there's just all kinds of wacky stuff. Why are you turning to that channel? I I don't. I don't. I don't don't even have cable anymore. I just, you know, um, another story for another day. But, but, I mean, it's 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 that station would probably be like actually being in the ocean because it's always. All over the you place. You got one thirty-minute wave followed by another thirty-minute mm-hmm. wave followed by another thirty-minute wave, and now it's—I mean, it's satellite. It's you know, it's everywhere. So not only is the false teaching there, but it's 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 everywhere now. Yeah, people people love the dark more than they love the light. 
consequently they're drawn to things that are user-friendly. You know, the gospel is a very hard, you know, very, very hard thing to believe. And we're inclined, our makeup, you know, I'm saying, so our makeup is that of, we just enjoy the darkness more than light. I mean, we sin because we like it. That's our inclination. But when you have the new man, you know, then you really start thinking, what am I watching? You know, all you have to do is watch Joel Osteen for three minutes and know. Because, you know, in the medical field, you, you study what's normal. You never study what's wrong. You always study what's normal. With EKG, you just study normal EKGs. X-rays, you study normal X-rays. Yeah. You see them over and over and over and over again. So that, something comes up that's not normal. You'll know it right away. Now, you might not know what it is, but you'll know it's not normal. And it's the same thing, I think, if I could use that analogy with the Word of God. If you know the truth, once that false whatever it is comes your way, the red flag goes up. That's true. Sure. Yeah, but you would have a hard time convincing the 4,000 people listening to Joel Osteen that they don't have the Holy Spirit. You know, I mean, they would they would say, who are you to tell me that I don't have the Holy Spirit? You'd have a hard time convincing Joel. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> well, no, that, that was going to be my next true. question. That's, you know. that's, that's true, but they're deceived yeah. in their own mind. That's they're deceived in their own heart. You know, uh, and we just pray that those people do have this much of the Holy Spirit. You know, at all, if they have any at all, and see that part of the spirit, and be no longer children. Yeah, that's the whole problem. They, you listen to Kenneth Copeland. I mean, that is like the bottom of the bottom. Oh. You know, Kenneth Hagen, Kenneth Copeland. Maybe, you know, you know, in the eighties, you know, you listen to all of those things, and it sounded good. You know, oh, from yeah. where you were. Oh. You know, but now that Give you it know, to me. now that you know, you look back and you go, how can somebody continue not to grow? Yeah. Not to grow. And if you really want to grow, I'll guarantee you, if you're really praying to the Lord that you want to grow in His truth, you will. Absolutely. That's how... And He is sovereign. And But uh, we might have to go through a few bumps here and there, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, carried about. Discernment. Carried about. Discernment is so key. Uh, so, in the case of somebody like a Joel Osteen, I don't mean to pick on him or anything, because God may not be finished with what He wants to do through that guy. But is, is it the power? Is it the ego? Because he certainly has more money than 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 most people. So it isn't the money, or, or maybe it is. I don't know. But does the money give him power and that, that power is like his drug? That it's, a, it's an ego-driven thing? And like you said, it, you know... It, it, Do you ever have enough money? No. Okay. That answers your question. Yeah. Rockefeller. $10 bill, $50 bill, $1 million bill. Yeah. You never have enough. And Bill, how would we know what is driving Joel's thing? No, I wasn't... It was more of a rhetorical question, if I may use... And how about, I imagine he's getting a lot off the crowd. There's got to be some electricity there. So what you started out with from the beginning is that how you judge, how do most people judge if it works? Is by the number of people that you Yeah. Yeah, because we always hear Joyce talk about, well, I started a Bible study in my home. Here's where it is. Yeah. Yeah. Just think if Joel Olstein had a true conversion. I mean, he'd have an instant 4,000 you know, people day. They'd all yeah, leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you're showing the hard way. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. They maybe, don't want that fruit. Maybe, they want Joel just yeah. for you. Maybe. Yeah, he's got to change his job. Well, I don't mean to pick on him, because God's sovereign. He may not be done. I hope that he's not yeah, but if, if Joel ever did run into the truth, do you think he'd really fall for it? And that's actually he'd have to give up so much. 
I'll tell you what, we have, we've come to uh, that time again. I tell you, every week, this is the quickest hour in all of my life for the week. I, don't, I just thought we started 15 minutes ago. And I don't know, I think somebody's playing with a clock up there. You know, you're using a magnet, you know. <laughs> um, sheep's clothing, ravenous wolves, whited sepulchers. Those were the words of who? Jesus. Jesus. Matthew seven. Exactly. If Jesus is calling, and that's it's not saying, and 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 he's going to come along and talk about truthing and love. So there's a perfect balance that we have, but we should not refrain from calling a lie uh, a lie and telling what it is. We need to bring out truth in that loving way and that in that balance. And if somebody is is has error, and you know somebody that's in it. You owe it to them to tell them at least, hey, listen, that's not what Scripture says. Here's what it does say. You may lose a friend over it, or you may gain a friend, uh, but what matters is is God's glory. And if you look in, in, in Matthew 7, you look in Second uh, uh, Corinthians, it talks about you know even uh, demons. You know, we're talking about false teaching is actually where that's really coming from. They're, they're apostles uh, for uh, Satan. Uh, you look in Philippians, you look in Colossians, you look in Timothy, Second Peter and Jude, uh, even in Revelation, and you'll see that all of this has just, um, I think, constantly is warning uh, the church about that. So people are, are going to be held accountable if they fall to that. But I think it sure helps if somebody would come alongside. And that's why I was saying, whenever the Lord brought Jerry Van Ham to me, bought me a concordance, set it down, that thing was huge. And what is that? I couldn't wait to tie into it. That was my first reference book. I don't even know what you called them. And then I heard about a commentary. And uh, things just progressed rapidly after that because, hey, I had some tools to work with. But the Lord did that. They're working through somebody. And, boy, it helped Carolyn and, and my growth through that. And I'm sure all of you guys have a story. I'm just sharing that with you just to say there has to be growth there. And the Lord was, was in it all. But false teachings will come from the east, the west, the north, south. They'll come from all over. The, the, like the winds will change. You ever started a fire, especially lately? And the wind will be blowing from north to south. And in my house... From north to south means it goes back to the field. And I don't have to worry about the neighbors smelling and seeing the smoke because <laughs> it's out of the, the suburbs, you know. Well, it's funny. It never ends up the way that it starts. And somebody over here on east of me has been hanging out clothes. And all of a sudden that wind just changes. It takes off over there, and now it's blowing on their on their clothes, and I know it's going to stink. <laughs> I go, oh no! And then it'll shift over, and then it'll start blowing, you know, to the west, and it shifts around. And that's what happens to people when they're carried around in all the directions. The wind comes from one direction, then it shifts around, and a child can fall prey to any imposter that comes along. You know, somebody can be driving along in a car and pick them up. Hey, you want some candy, little kid? <laughs> and so here we go. But if Christians, um, they like they like the candy, or, or like we were just talking about there earlier, some of these people fall prey to this, the entertainment aspect, the excitement that's in it. You don't really have to work at it. And, boy, this is really cool. You don't have to think very much. on Look what I'll get. I look at the blessings, the money and everything, you know. And if I believe this way... and. So when the church does these kind of things, people flock to them. That's why they have thousands of millions of people maybe. But it's enjoyable to be entertained than go to the drudgery, I use that in quotes, of doctrine. We, we thank God for doctrine because that is what we want, isn't it? We know what we want. Um, trickery of men, the word is kubia, it's loaded dice. It's manipulated dice. So you've heard of loaded dice? (laughs) 
That is what's happening there with the trickery of men. They've loaded the dice. They manipulate it. Uh, they get the figure that they desire. They'll win every time. Craftiness. Panurgia. And it means uh, to take an error or a false doctrine and to work it around, to uh, manipulate it to where it will look like it's right doctrine and truth. And then scheming. It really comes down to cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting or scheming. The word is methodia or methods or a scheme. There's a plan to all this. Now, some men may not be so aware because they're taking in a lot of money, but I'll tell you what, um, they don't care about teaching truth. Their plan is is to deceive the people, whether they want to, they're legitimately deceiving or the fact that, hey, listen, if I keep with this, I know there's much more in here, but that's going to turn people off. I'm going to lose a crowd. I'm going to continue to teach this stuff, whether it's true or false. It really doesn't matter because look at all the results and look at the money that's coming in. So there is a, a planned and subtle way. And definitely with the enemy behind all this who controls this false teaching, we're confronted by something that is definitely methodical or plotted out. It's very crafty. Uh, planned to perfection. <coughs> false teachers and false teachings don't happen accidentally. They have been planned out. Missionaries have more trouble, they say, with false teachers. As soon as they come in there, guess who else is along with them? Or who has been there? The Mormons. If, if they allow Christians to finally come in, then your Mormons, your Jehovah's Witnesses, Eastern religion, they're all going to be anybody that's trying to get some kind of growth. Um, and they say they have more troubles with that than the people that are already there with their unbelief and their paganism that they already have. Anyway, uh, we get to the truthing and love next uh, next week. I went over a little bit, but that finished that verse out. You impressed? <laughs> hey, listen, thank you guys for uh, coming out tonight. <laughs>